0: This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI and Business podcast. This is one of our special Friday AI Futures episodes. and We're focused in this episode on the transition to a generative internet. Most of us, maybe not everybody listening in, but most of us can remember a time before the internet was completely ubiquitous for work and for play and for everything in between. And then we can remember a time afterwards. There will be a similar transition where we remember a life where not everything conjured before us was conjured forth by AI, and a time when we swim in programmatically generated AI experiences for entertainment, for work, etc. As it turns out, at least one person, our guest this week, believes that there might be some similarities between those transitions. And this person has a particularly astute perspective on the matter. Mark Sermon is the president of the Mozilla Foundation. Almost all of you who are listening in have at least at some point used Mozilla's great web browser. The Mozilla Foundation does a little bit more than that, and they're focused a good deal on Artificial Intelligence Day. Mark has seen the sort of birth of the internet and its grand expansion into a critical part of society and life, and he speaks with us this week on what that transition looked like and how there might be similar factors in terms of policy Changes to how we live, changes to how we interact with each other when we shift into a generative internet. So if you're thinking about the life pre-internet and what it is now, there's going to be another pre and post and Mark gives us a great perspective on what those two pictures might be. I hope for some of you, this will be eye opening as to what might be to come. And I think again, Mark's perspective is smart enough where I certainly took notes because I think a lot of these things are going to come to pass. So without further ado, this is Mark Sermon on this special AI Futures episode of the AI in Business podcast. So Mark, welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? Going well. I'm glad to be able to have you here. And we are are talking about an experience that is somewhat analogous to the world that you're in. So people are going to know you as the fellow behind Mozilla in many regards. And before we started recording today, you had mentioned that this entrance into this wild west of generative AI feels like the beginning of the internet. I want to ask you first, we're going to get into the implications of that, but what do you mean by that? What is similar and how do you think it's going to roll out in a way that's kind of analogous?
1: I would say the beginning of the web. And I wasn't at Mozilla at the beginning of the web. In fact, Mozilla wasn't Mozilla at the beginning of the web, but certainly I was doing internet stuff back in 94. 94. When the Netscape browser came out, I was running a web hosting company, web development company. And it was so exciting, like, you know, all of a sudden you didn't need to like put out a zine or put out a CD-ROM or whatever it was. just put your stuff up and people could come get it. And it was kind of cheap and kind of easy and everybody could do it. And it's like, all of a sudden, that's sort of where it feels like we're at with generative AI, you know, this, crazy stuff we've been talking about ai for a long time we use it for particular business applications in the background but now like anybody can kind of go and like make it do stuff and you know that's that's kind of an exciting moment it's also kind of a kludgy, clumsy moment when i think back to that in the web
0: huh. in, in what way what were the big stumbling blocks In the internet era, kind of getting ourselves to where we are now, where we all have browsers and people are actually fluent in how to use this stuff. What did it take to get there? Because I think people forget now, Mark, they hop on their computer and they say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course. I mean, it was all self-evident how the UI works. It was self-evident how email is going to work. I mean, we all get it. But no, there were mistakes and bumbles. Talk us through a little bit of
1: that. Well, I think it's that exactly right. And it's not just it's the awkwardness of it. And at the time, it felt like this is it. Right. It's all going to be like this. And I think that sometimes is how you feel with chat GPT or, or, or these kind of things. But like it is the kind of adolescent stage, like probably a lot of listeners are younger than me. But there was the blink tag where, wow, I can make a thing blink on a page, which is different than putting something, you know, printing something out or, you know, just early e-commerce or early personalization. And they're just it really it was from the mid 90s you know, through to, I don't know, the, the early aughts to the Facebook, the Gmail kind of era, 10 years of working out, how do we want this experience of the web to provide utility to people? And that means figuring out, you know, UX paradigms and kind of and UI paradigms, like how does actually going to work? What are we going to use it for? It's good for social, it's good for e-commerce, but only in these cases. How do we do personalization and make it be something that is is responsive to me? How do I guide it? And so I, I think all of those questions really about like, what's it for? Who gets to use it for what? And like, how do we actually build experiences from it? We are just in the very earliest of days.
0: Yeah, it, well, it's, it's pretty clear that that is the case. And some people are sort of imagining what these next waves look like. Have you thought a bit about, where you think this stuff will start to settle in, probably none of us would have been able to predict exactly how email and browsers and other kinds of norms have settled down completely. But do you have inklings as to where this will start to, you used a great phrase there, add utility to people, right? It's a powerful technology. We all knew that with the internet, but exactly how it's gonna add utility, it was sort of anybody's guess. Some people thought it was gonna be VR right after the internet. Oh, now that we can all be connected. And of course that never happened. So from your vantage point, Where does this fun tool that writes great tweets and gets everybody excited on social start to stretch into value for people?
1: Well, I think, you know, when you think back to how hard it is to look at it ahead, and, you know, there's a quote I love from Marshall McLuhan, which is We tend to see the future through the rearview mirror. And so it's kind of hard sitting now to know what it's going to be. It's also hard to know, like, what's going to go wrong. So if I I think back to the, the beginning of the web, we didn't see, you know, social media coming even in the same way we did or the kinds of personalization or, or you know, what it means for the web to have transformed into smartphones and be with us everywhere. We also didn't see misinformation and a level of annoyance and invasion of our privacy that was going to come. Like it, it just wasn't on people's minds. Yeah. So I think we want to be looking to the future of AI both on the, you know, what is it that could happen? Where's the value? And also what could go wrong? the value might be i imagine we're gonna have very quickly we're already starting to see them really much more personalized experiences like i'm not listening and you've already seen companies like this come out i'm not just listening to spotify recommendations but i'm listening to like a whole radio show that feels like a radio show it's got you know ai actors or hosts or whatever it's the radio show I want and you know I'm, I'm driving down the road and it says, yeah, there's traffic two minutes ahead. I mean, it's kind of like Google Maps as a radio show and then it's also playing the stuff that I love and it's kind of, you know, that's maybe just one simple, easy to deliver example, but I think we're just gonna see hyper personalization and a lot of it is gonna feel great. And then on the other side, I think you're gonna see a bunch that has gone wrong with the internet so far, get reflected for some of the same reasons, right? As as we get to hyper-personalization, somebody's got to make money off it, and the incentives to treat my data well, or to treat me well, or to you know kind of make sure that it's an experience that, that respects me, they're not necessarily always there. And so you know you're going to have to to really watch out for the, the kind of problems we've seen around filter bubbles misinformation polarization actually get worse in the world of hyper personalization
0: yeah well i, I think the hyper personalization idea i think sometimes i think about it like the audience of one where to your point you want to listen to a radio station that's just for you i think that stretches into many areas i'm going to i'm going to kind of pick that idea apart this hyper personalization idea apart maybe how you're imagining it for the future of kind of the web experience which you know you guys are clearly already having to think about And then we'll talk a little bit about the concerns, considerations on the societal side as well. But just for the hyper-personalization, many examples come to mind like I want to learn something. Maybe there's a way to conjure a lesson right? I'm trying to learn Greek. Maybe there's a way to conjure a lesson that's really calibrated to my knowledge and my gaps. Or maybe there's a way to put a layer of Greek over the things I'm doing. So I can see things with little labels and I can I can understand what all the different uh, nouns are for the things I'm looking at or something like that. There's like learning experiences along those lines. Maybe there's a tutor that will be conjured just like the radio station you talked about who might be able to answer my questions faster than ChatGPT's little cursor can move and have a dialogue with me about things. Same thing with relaxation. Maybe I want to feel relaxed. I can turn on something that's really calibrated to all the ways that I've been relaxed In business, maybe I've got a really niche little workflow that I kind of work on over in one corner of procurement and I have all these summarization things I have to do to to help my executive teams and I have to distill the patterns of what I'm seeing and maybe there's a way to sort of even tailor that to my little unique, funky little workflow that I do as the the one person with that job in the whole enterprise. Where else do you see personalization bubbling up? I'm just throwing stuff on the table, but where do you see exciting, potentially near-term areas where this will hit the ground?
1: It's interesting because you kind of covered, you, you covered a pretty wide range. I did, yeah. And, and I want to more riff off those. I mean, there's other pieces obviously, right? Which is that all of the stuff in terms of personal assistants or like things that aid me. I mean, they kind of almost become like my super suit or my cape go through. So if I have things like Code Pilot, which already exists, where it can like help me write software faster or help me write a thing faster, or summarize the things for the executives. I think things that almost feel like assistants that make me go faster, are a kind of hyper personalization that that will make a big impact in the workplace, and in many ways, like you see reports coming out, like the you know there's a lot of stuff on jobs and kind of people worrying about what job loss is happening. The other piece is to think about like once I have that super power, that hopefully I get to do the more interesting work. Like the, one of the things we've talked a lot about or you've read a lot about is lawyers being you know a big area where there's a risk of of job loss but there's a lot of drudgery in being a lawyer so like imagine if the ai did the drudgery and you got to do the creative intellectual difficult you know all of that kind of strategic stuff and so i think that's a, a thing to watch for too is like how do i build that personalized superpower around me as a professional as a worker and then how do i actually think for the kind of people listening to this podcast people who are looking at deploying ai to imagine as a as a trend and a thing to to think about in the next two years the thing i would say is all this feels when you look you know think about generative ai that things are moving hyper fast and we're at a tipping point true but it's also really important to remember we're so early like in the early web in terms of what these things can actually do so a lot of the things I just said, and you just said, they're very clear problems we face with this age or this kind of wave of generative AI ready that are kind of holding, will hold us back or we're not ready yet. So if you just think about, you know, using any of these chatbots, they would give you a disclaimer, you know, this is only up to date as of September, 2021. Yeah, or, or yeah. Built hyper personalization is not going to work well until we can have hyper contextualized training data that can kind of work closely with these deeper models and so it's a it's a ways before that works well and then similarly you know you see where these chatbots like make stuff up or they hallucinate is the kind of term that is starting to get used and if you're preparing summaries for executives in this hyper personalized way the hallucination is not going to be one, and I would say one thing to really watch out for in terms of the use of AI, you know, th- these kind of generative tools in business is where they feel like they're ready for prime time, and being critical about whether they are ready for prime time. Because what you're going to see is, you know, like we saw 20 years ago, and or 10 year, you know, 20 years ago in Linux and a bunch of stuff, or 10 years ago in cloud computing you know, the shadow IT department that just uses what's cool, even though it's not vetted for the, the business is going to be the shadow AI department. People are going to start using this stuff, whatever rules you say. And so you got to really be ready to to both encourage creativity, but be critical about what's ready for prime time.
0: Yeah. and And I think just to touch on that a little bit, I have one other short question on this. We're going to get into some societal side of things here. I can imagine a future where, we really do have to, if we're talking about a procurement workflow, an underwriting workflow, a customer service workflow, we're going to have to really train it, get our error rates down pretty tight, have you know a strong onboarding process and uh, ways of doing things. And so a lot of very tight training, not, not the same bot that's going to answer my kids homework, but something that's really for my darn call center for crying out loud, not, not for everything, not for making up a Dungeons and Dragons scenario. And so we're going to need narrowness fit to purpose on some level. And then also I would imagine confidence thresholds. So we, we run these things and that anything that's mission critical, if it's below X confidence threshold that maybe the company can set, the user can set then it requires a certain amount of of human review. Now, right now, we can do that with simple things like fraudulent transactions with credit cards or anti-money laundering with banking or whatever else the case may be, categorization and accounting. But now it'll be more abstract things, but we still might need the human green check mark going down because to your point, taking the hands all the way off the wheel, probably not a very
1: near-term scenario. No, definitely not. And I think even a ways to go to build the tech and the tooling and the business processes even to have that kind of hyper, you know, tight, narrow, traditional training data and that confidence threshold. And I'll say, we just launched last month, a company called Mozilla AI, which is going to be our R&D group, focused on building stuff, you know, tooling in that space, right? It's really the phrase we've got is making it easy to build trustworthy AI into anything. Mm-hmm. And it means like when I'm a developer or I'm in running a business process, it shouldn't be hard for me to be able to bring in that contextual training data, it should be easy. It shouldn't be hard for me to check that confidence threshold, whether it's about compliance or about user impact. And that's not yet where we see people investing in the kind of rushing, move fast and break things world. So we really wanna help fill that gap and make it easy for people deploying these systems to have that confidence and to consider users.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so we'll and we'll get into that actually at the very end here. I'm interested in sort of what you guys are building for a little and how you see the future of the internet, the future of the web experience generally starting to merge with this stuff. But let me quickly get into the societal side of things. I mentioned to you off microphone this idea that we sort of bump around here at Emerge around closing the human reward circuit. So I have a reward circuit, you know, where I want to relax. I have a reward circuit where I want to be entertained. I have a reward circuit. For you know, learning certain things. And there's all kinds of other reward circuits that people use the internet for that maybe I don't even have to mention right now. And we can imagine a world where when I have an impetus to feel renewed or relaxed, right now I might go walking outside listening to an audiobook. In the future, there might be a way where the calibration to those brain waves of what pure, like absolutely the best relaxation is for Daniel Fagella might be so well dialed in and calibrated with an understanding of my EEG, EKG, my eye tracker, all that stuff, that the conjured VR experience or or immersive experience that I would have for relaxation by the technology would at some point be ubiquitously better than let's say 99% of real world things. And then the same thing for entertainment. And then the same thing maybe, Mark, for heartfelt advice going through a breakup or making an important business decision. And now... I'd need to talk to regular people for like practical purposes because they control resources and they exist in the world, but I can see a space where if I'm in my husk and the loops of satisfaction through my reward circuits are astronomically tighter and more calibrated there than ever in the real world, that that may be a future we're walking into. I'm not even calling it dystopic, but and I don't mean to put it on the table as dystopic, more as this feels like where the momentum's going. Is that unrealistic, realistic for you, and are there any considerations around that that maybe you would have?
1: Well, let let me say a, a few things on that. Hopefully, the, the human body and the human psyche is is smart enough to at least tell the AI that my relaxation level is, is better when I still go for a walk. So yes. even if the AI is telling me to go for a walk, hopefully I still use my body and I'm not just plugged into the matrix. I mean, that is a dystopian feeling. So, I, and I'm actually partly optimistic that, you know, we'll be smart enough to shape this or the people who develop it will shape experiences that, you know, like a Fitbit, but on hyper hyper steroids actually help me enjoy being a human better. So like you can try to be optimistic about that. I would say two things, maybe three big things to watch out for. One is, you know, the first era of the Internet is not optimistic. Well, that's maybe a little harsh. It, it it's been a mixed bag right cuz it's connected us like we're connected to our friends everywhere like we get a lot of joy from the internet like i love it i'm still a big internet fan of course yep yep but you know we also have really seen in my view it erode our our political discourse and and certainly addict us a little bit you know you see movies like the social dilemma and that really has to do with what is the system optimized for And when you have a system that is just optimized for selling enough ads to help share prices go up, you're gonna get stuff that's not good for us and certainly not designed in our interests. So imagine you take what you said and you take where we're already headed with AI that a few companies are dominating it. I mean, OpenAI is pretty much owned by Microsoft. You know, there's a few players. If share price drives the kind of deep hyper-personalization that we're doing, like in whose interests will we be operating, and that worries me a lot. I think that's
0: absolutely a good question to put on the table. And I'm not even calling those companies bad. I just think in- incentives no, exist. Ex- incentives exactly. exist, right? You know, I don't, I don't blame the wolf for eating my cat, you know, because the wolf knows not what else to do. And 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 again, everybody's going to do what behooves their interests. And I, I don't think. You know Microsoft isn't intending any harm. But to your point, yes, there is a real question. you know, if, if it was Amazon's ecosystem, maybe we'd be walking around subtly buying things, right? Maybe there'd be little signals well, of eye I, tracking that would make us buy stuff. the
1: ecosystems as we're going, right? I mean, it's likely that Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, and maybe Apple and maybe Facebook are those ecosystems. And so how do we actually make sure as a society that there's a better chance than not that those things are 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 good for us? And, and I would just say, you know, two things one is it's a reason that this what kind of feels like a old internet debate of the moment in in washington or in brussels around competition really matters because you know i i believe anyways if you have more players in the marketplace you know the incentives to actually treat people better are actually are just kind of built in so i do think like competition policy on tech may sound like a nerdy dc belt you know inside the beltway thing but it matters for human experience of this next wave of ai and then the other thing i would say is we really have lost and we like to think that we can be one of these we really lost the idea of you know trusted institutions we have in society to have our back and so i like to think that we can rebuild some of those whether that's like the consumer watchdogs of the world or you know other people we trusted And if we can build those institutions that they can run personal AI services that kind of represent us,
0: yeah, I
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: I mean, and and I think, look, I at the end of the day, you know, whoever the trusted group is, right? Every Robespierre becomes Napoleon if you give him the scepter, right? OpenAI was started as OpenAI, Mark, if you recall, and so (laughs) yes, 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 Many, many things like this, right? and and Robespierre was the uncorruptible. So that's how this works. But I do think more players is more incentives to win people over by treating them well. And I do think that hopefully there will be a, a grand dialogue here around, wait a second, if the world, which I think we're kind of moving there, Mark, the world is primarily virtual moving forward. Like in other words, right now, I mean, most of my work is done exactly like you and I are talking, right? I I've, I've never shaken your hand, but it's all facilitated this way. We're only going in more and more. If that's the case, and we're being slightly tilted and leaned in various and sundry directions is there any oh, the way time. is there any way to ensure that that ecosystem tilts towards our agency and i think that's a really important question to put on the table and i know that you're involved on the policy side with the folks that are kind of thinking maybe some of those early thoughts today if i'm not mistaken mark
1: yeah and that's that's exactly the way we think about it is tilt towards our agency. I mean there's different incentives in society. It's still society. there's still power dynamics. but how do we tilt towards our agency? And some of that is you know enough incentives and, and frankly enough shift in in this going back to this question of UX and UI, like how do we build for this people who are developers and founders of companies who are thinking about and innovating and in how to design for user agency. Sounds very abstract, but like, I think we'll feel what that looks like in five years, in 10 years is designing for user agency where I'm making choices and then do products come out, which is a place that we want to go eventually that allow you to kind of have this personal AI that is your user agent. In some ways it's the browser on hyper steroids that is a counterparty to all these other AIs. And that's the thing to remember is we're already outgunned. Like the cognitive ability of us to process the amount of automated stuff coming at us is already low and, you know, just kind of imbalanced. And so, you know, do we build, you know, software that we trust is run by a party we trust to be the counterparty to everything that's coming at us? And I think without that, we're actually in a tough spot. It's a state that's got to emerge. I'm
0: totally with you. And that's why we call the business Emerge here is is because we're looking at what those things that are emerging and talking to people that are thinking about it. I think there's so much truth that I'm going to have to end on one question here around exactly that. You know, right now, my roads are maintained by the state. You know, if I have to call the police, you know, I'm certainly... It's not like directly coming out of my pocket in that instance as a transaction. I'm not against people that are libertarian. I'm not making any political arguments. I'm just saying the way things work now is there's certain infra that's being maintained by being part of this society. Increasingly, the way I you know brag about myself, the way I build my power, the way I build my wealth, the way that I get anything done from groceries to you name it is I've got this virtual ecosystem I'm swimming in. Pretty soon I'm going to be immersed in it. I guess the question almost is, and I don't know if you see policy leaders thinking about this, does that become sort of like a world that will have some level of laws? In other words, hey, when someone's immersed in this way, no, we're not going, you know, like uh, for you know, selling certain kinds of financial instruments. No, you're not going to go door to door and pitch that to people. We're not going to permit that. Or, you know, you can't litter in that way. There's going to be some kind of fine against that. Is there a world where, yes, we have different players, but actually that space, which becomes more real than real, has a set of meta laws, whether by country or cross country. I mean, is this realistic or or are you seeing anybody banding yeah. this about?
1: I, I, not only do I see it as realistic and, and necessary, and you want to balance you know, innovation and, and regulation and all those things. I also just see it as the natural cycle of history. Any form of innovation feels like the wild west, right? If you think about cars in, you know, a hundred and, you know, 150 years ago, almost now, 125 years ago, this is a total wild west. It's just being invented out of people's brains and out of people's factories. There's no rules, there's no rules of the road. no, no seatbelts. Right. Any of those things. And, and even take seatbelts, it, it, you know, it takes 75, 80 years before Ralph Nader gets, you know, gets us to kind of put it into a law. 80 years for a technology, you know, that defined the 20th century. And so I, I think we're now just getting to the beginning of those questions of what is competition? What is safety? What is fairness? What are all these things and like? We should move with haste, and governments are, but we also, I don't think, should panic that like, oh my God, we didn't regulate it. That wasn't the right time. Or, oh my God, we're going to kill ourselves by regulating. It's not like we don't have safer cars today now that we had seatbelt laws 50 years ago. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a good way to think about it. And I actually, it sounds like your this sort of inevitable trajectory is really worth pondering on for some of the listeners. I know-
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. innovation- and then the the kind of society. It, let let's let's look at it optimistically, for a while, as, as opposed to just dystopically. Yeah, it, the cycle of innovation, internalization of what it should become. How are we build societal norms? Like it takes time and it goes through cycles. And if I'm optimistic, we're we're going to tackle that. And so we have to not be afraid to like make those balances in society. But we know how to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know what I've got my fingers crossed, Mark that our browsers will maintain enough agency for us to make those decisions. And
1: well, I, I call them browsers <laughs> or, uh, or whatever, whatever they are. Weird, exactly. So. Whatever exactly. They are.
0: Whatever it is that, that we've still got some of our own volition that we're able to wield here. I know that's all we had for time on this, but Mark, this has been a real blast. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode.
1: Thanks, Dan. It's great.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. Thanks for joining us on this special AI Friday Futures series. It was great to be able to have Mark with us. I really enjoyed the enthusiasm in his conversation, and I always like painting a picture of where things are going. For some of you who are tuned in, you'll notice that's more and more been where I've kind of stepped into editorial is when we're talking a little bit more about the far future. It's kind of where I like to hang out, and I'm glad that some of you like to do exactly that. We have an entirely new podcast called The Trajectory. The Trajectory is both a newsletter and a podcast focused on the far future of artificial intelligence. Where is intelligence itself sort of taking us? What does the 10-year, 100-year future look like? And where are we ultimately going with these grand technology transitions? The Trajectory covers exactly those topics. If you'd like to sign up for the Trajectory newsletter and be updated when our Trajectory podcast goes live, including our kickoff episode with none other than Yashua Bengio, then be sure to sign up. You can go to emerj.com slash tj1. That's TJ like Trajectory, so T as in Thomas, J as in Jerry, and then the number one, emerge.com tj1, and check out the Trajectory podcast. I hope to be able to catch you there and in that special newsletter. Again, I've had had a lot of fun diving into the future. Super grateful that we have so many of you that are also interested in these topics. So we'll be certainly covering more Friday episodes just like this. Look forward to catching you back in our normal editorial rigmarole. Kicking off next week covering AI adoption and use cases. I'll see you on Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in.